Olivia stands with her back to the door and a spread of maps projected on the wall in front of her. The maps are topographical and blotched with a pale blue that indicates water. Sparrow, her contact, is tracing snaky lines around each of the blotches with a laser pen. His down jacket rustles as he moves in the unheated room. Olivia watches the red dot squiggle across the wall. Where it hovers, she draws an X in erasable marker. Later, after she and several others have memorized them, the maps will be deleted. Olivia and Sparrow do not talk about the locations of the X's. It is possible that the room is bugged. Some people do not understand that lakes have currents. Like oceans, large lakes pulse and lap with waves. They froth and foam, digesting endlessly and striking against the shoreline more, more. Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, Lakes Huron and Erie and Ontario, like the sea, the Great Lakes are always thirsty. Olivia understands this restlessness. She also struggles to find equilibrium. Once, oh, a million years ago, she was a college student. She shared a dorm suite with two other biology students and took showers as long as she wanted. Back then, a Michigan girl rarely thought about water, except as a place to visit on the weekends. Olivia remembers clearly one particular trip to Lake Michigan, taken, of course, before the waters receded, and so many stranded alewives rotted that the beaches were roped off as public health hazards. She stood up to her knees in water that seemed to stretch on forever. Even on that windless day, the lake was alive, ripples forming like hairline cracks in a glass mirror, just waiting for a pebble or a swimmer or the cobra-like head of a pipeline pump house to crack the surface and earn seven years' bad luck. Sparrow wants to know if Olivia has memorized the maps. You won't be able to contact me, he writes in the erasable marker. She nods. He reaches one burn-scarred hand under the table and pulls out a small blue bag with two pockets. They both know what is in the large pocket. Sparrow indicates that she should unzip the smaller compartment. That's programmed with the only number you'll need, he scrawls when she pulls out a disposable cell. Double check your work before you call. Olivia takes the bag and shakes his free hand. Thanks for everything, Sparrow. She says this with only her eyes, but he nods as if he understands. Take care, he writes. Olivia tucks the bag under her arm and leaves the building. Christmas is only three weeks away, and a few flakes of whirling snow melt against her graying hair and the collar of her jacket. The snow brings to her mind not gingerbread and carols, but grim statistics. As in, less than 1% of the Great Lakes water is renewed each year by rain and snowmelt. As in, though you would not know it to look at the lawn around the governor's mansion, her Michigan hometown will soon die of thirst. Some people do not understand that the Great Lakes are a gift. The white-blue glaciers that form them will not creep through here again, not in the timeline of humanity. Our gases and slurries have irrevocably altered the planet. The Great Lakes Basin? What you see is what you get. 
Olivia is old enough to recognize both the tragedy and the beauty of living beside an unfillable bowl of water. She has seen how two welcoming hands can become a basin, a mouth before it is closed to the sky. A private pipeline can never form a basin. Secretive, reptilian, its selfish coils are buried and cannot see the stars. A few hundred chits of untraceable credit have earned Olivia a spot on one of the last ferries still traversing Lake Michigan. Once upon a time, it would have been impossible to cross this late in the year. The western companies who own the pipelines put something in the water these days that prevents ice formation. Whatever compound they use will probably be shown to cause cancer 30 years from now, but cancer is not her current concern. Olivia stands in darkness at the ship's bow, where the air is silvery cold. She clutches the blue bag and lets freezing spray strike her face. In the distance, a belt of tiny yellow squares gleam, lit windows in the pump houses that service the pipelines. She has nearly reached her destination. Rigging the device does not take long. It is so easy at night to look like a state water monitor, just a gray shirt and a black jacket, a yellow patch on a knit cap. The pump house guards wave her inside with hardly a second look. There's no reason to be suspicious. Despite some recent clashes over dwindling aquifers, they think they have everything under control. The corporations that own the pipelines have purchased seven years' worth of positive water use reports. The young guard smiles at Olivia as she leaves. Perhaps she reminds him of his mother. Olivia does not smile back. Who smiles at a dead man? Most of the children in Olivia's apartment block are on welfare water. Lately, there's a new nursery rhyme they've been singing. Steal a cup, steal a cup, steal a cup of water. Run far as you can, then run a mile farther. Drink it up, drink it up, drink it up dry. It's all gone now, love. There's none left to buy. A safe distance from the pump house, Olivia jams in her earplugs and dials the number in her disposable cell. When the building explodes, it sends wave-like ripples under her shoes. She wipes the map in her mind clear of its first X. Millions of gallons of water have been rescued from the siphon, but it's too early to celebrate any victory. There are so many more targets yet to erase. So many straws left to pull from the cup. Her earplugs soften the wailing of the siren to an insect's hum. Olivia turns her back and heads for the return ferry. Once on board, she will drop the phone into what remains of the dark and forgetful water.